Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hello everybody, happy Tuesday and welcome back to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. It is beautiful weather here in Boston and I'm actually sitting outside. It is it is so nice. You might hear the birds chirping or some cars run down the street in the background. I just cannot be bothered to go inside. It is honestly too nice out. All right, let's dive into today's episode. You guys, I am so stoked to have my friend in IBCLC, Brianne Taggart, on the show. You guys, we first met on Instagram, and now she does lactation visits for our clients. And She's just really great at teaching and she is a wealth of knowledge and she's non-judgmental. She also has children of her own so she understands what it is like to be a mom. She really does come to it from a place of listening first and then supporting you in whatever your goals are. So in today's episode, we're actually going to be talking about how you can set yourself up for breastfeeding before your baby gets here. We're going to be talking about the top three to five breastfeeding myths that she hears, bad advice that she hears, and Brianne's must-have products in order to help you have a more successful breastfeeding journey. We're also going to dive a little bit into formulas because remember, it is not a judgment space here. We are open to whatever makes you feel best and makes you feel the most powerful at being a parent. So without further ado, Bree, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners, I know I just told you a little bit about Rian, but we met on Instagram and, you know, it's, it's really hard for me to find people that I jive with in the breastfeeding world because I feel like so many breastfeeding people and, and support people are one way is, is it in one way or the highway. Right. And Brianne's not like that. And so when I found Brianne, I, you know, obviously stalked her a little bit on the, on the internet. And then I followed her for a while and I was like, wow, I like this lady so much because she really understands that it's not one size fits all and that parents truly do have to figure out what fits best for them. And I really love her Instagram because she gives you so many of those 
options, right? She's not going to just tell you there are options out there. She's going to tell you there are options plus here's what they are. So if you're not following Brienne on, on Instagram, head over there now and do that. Or we'll link all of it into the show notes. And I'm sure we'll be talking about her social media in the, in the episode. But for listeners out there, I wanted to give you an idea before we jump into breastfeeding, because I know it is a sticky topic for a lot of people. You're not going to hear any shamey things today. We are going to be talking about your options and we're going to really be sharing with you what options you have along this journey. But before we do that, Brianne, welcome to the show. Who are we talking to today outside of your professional realm? Who are you just as a person, as a human? Yes. Yeah. Well, I guess first and foremost, I am a wife and a mom. <laughs> That's my main job. So I have three kids of my own. I have a nine-year-old girl, a seven-year-old girl, and a five-year-old boy. And how I got to the point where I am right now is I had my first baby and I thought, Oh, I'm a nurse. I know what I'm doing. I didn't take any breastfeeding classes. I didn't take any childbirthing classes. For some reason, I thought I knew everything. <laughs> At the time, I was like a brand new nurse. I wasn't even working in the women's field. So I don't know what I was thinking. So, you know, I had my first baby and things went, you know, pretty well overall, like looking back, I'm like, of course, like, oh, I would do this, this, and this different, but things went pretty well overall. Um, I was able to, you know, successfully breastfeed my first baby, but then I went and got a job on a postpartum unit in the hospital as a nurse. And what I wasn't expecting is that a huge part of my job was going to be helping moms with breastfeeding. It seemed like every single mom and baby in the hospital was having trouble with breastfeeding. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> like, Why is this happening? You know, you just put the baby up and they feed. And so that was a huge wake up call for me. I spent five years working there and really learning how to teach moms how to breastfeed. Cause it's really different to breastfeed yourself but then to turn around and to talk someone else through it. And so, because I didn't, you know, like in the beginning, it was like, oh, you just do this, this, and this. But I learned over time, like, no, you need to empower moms to do it themselves. You know, me doing it for them when they go home, how's that going to be helpful? I can't hold their baby <laughs> for them. And so it was a long road of like, okay, this is how you can do it. And a lot of just like empowering moms I found is like a huge part of my job. Like, Hey, you can do this and you can meet your goals. And here's some tips and tricks on how to do it. So, you know, I worked that there for five years and learned so much. And then I started teaching breastfeeding classes in that hospital. And then I kind of transitioned to seeing moms and babies in their home and traveling to their home and helping them in person with breastfeeding and them kind of hiring me in private practice. And now I've kind of transitioned to more of the online world, you know, with COVID and changes that are happening and meeting with parents that way. So it's kind of just been this long winding road. Um, but it's been so fun. That's just like fun for me to do that and still help empower moms and kind of have some things that I still love and enjoy being a mom, but I also, um, like it when my kids can just see like, Hey, my mom helps other moms in this way. And and she can figure out hard things. And sometimes she gets really frustrated in life too, because she's trying to run a business. And so it's, it's been fun to have like both sides of that in, in my personal life and my work life. 
Heck yeah. I love that. I love so much that you talk about, you know, what good am I going to be if I teach them how to do it with me standing right there doing all these things with them and then I send them home and they can't do it by themselves, right? That makes so much sense to me. It also hits so much inside of me because I feel like, and you know, I get my my hands on people while they're pregnant. So a huge fear of, peop- of people's is that breastfeeding is going to be very hard. Um, and we'll dive into that. But I think another big thing that people don't realize is I get calls all the time when people return home from the hospital and they're like, help, breastfeeding was going great. And, and now we're home and shit has hit the fan. And I'm like, yeah, you don't have anybody there to help you. If no one there standing over you doing these things, you know, we've got to teach these people what to do on their own. So I love how you talk about that. So what are the things that we need to know when it comes to breastfeeding before our baby gets here? So what can we do since this is such a scary thing? And, you know, you said it before you have breastfed, you don't know what you're doing. And it's really, really hard to tell another person how to breastfeed, especially if you've never breastfed before. And a lot of nurses don't have children of their own. So what can we as pregnant and birthing people do before our baby gets here to help prepare and maybe make that a little bit smoother once baby gets here it's gonna be hard no doubt but make it smoother yeah and I love that you bring that up because it's so important to think about this before your baby comes because imagine like whether you've had a baby or not just imagine like after all the excitement and work of giving birth you know maybe you're feeling really excited or exhausted or happy to meet your baby or maybe you're just distracted with what's going on in the delivery room that's not a great time (laughs) to learn a brand new skill. Like, Hey, let's learn something brand new from scratch. That's not the time to do it. So it's so, so important to learn before that baby is born and placed on your chest. Like you, you gotta have some things in place beforehand. And the thing that's crazy is that, um, especially here in the United States, I feel like I just don't see people breastfeed a lot. So it's so unreasonable to just say like, oh, you'll know what to do. It's natural. Like we didn't grow up. Most people that I work with, at least they didn't grow up seeing their, their mom and their aunt and their, their neighbor down the road breastfeeding, like everyone's covered. (laughs) And so it's like, how are you supposed to know what to do? Like this is a natural biological process, but you know, you're, you're learning kind of from scratch right here. So So just telling moms like, Hey, this is tricky in the beginning. I just like to think as of the first like month, like, Hey, it's, it's going to be tricky for everyone. Even if you know what you're doing, it's a little bit of an uphill battle and that's okay. This is something brand new for you. Even if it's your second, third, fourth, fifth, I've helped moms with their fifth baby before who's having trouble with breastfeeding because it's new baby, right? They have different anatomy. It's just a different baby altogether. And so, so just like just being, you know, a little, giving yourself a little bit of grace in those first, in that first month, I'd say, (laughs) just know that this is a new skill to learn. So just learning things like basics when you are still pregnant, like latching 101, hand expression, just some basics of like, here's some options for positioning. You know, there's so many different ways that you can position your baby, but just educating yourself so that you know what your options are. And, you know, if you learn something like hand expression, that is so um, beneficial because sometimes babies don't just latch on from the very beginning. (laughs) Sometimes it's easy to go to like, oh no, 
things are not working. This isn't going to work out. But if you are educated and empowered, like, Hey, I can just hand express some of my colostrum and I already have colostrum. I already know that. Right. Cause I learned that that started in the second trimester. I can just hand express and give that to my baby in a spoon or a syringe, or just put it on my finger and put it into baby's mouth. And Hey, that's going to be great for them. And then later on down the road, we'll work on latching a little bit more, but all's not lost, right? Like you, you have all these, these tools in your tool belt and you can just pull them out and feel empowered and ready to go. And isn't that so much of a better feeling in the delivery room than just being like, Oh my gosh, this baby isn't latching. What do I do? How do I do this? (laughs) Right. Yeah, no, I think that is, um, I think those are all really, really crucial for being able to plan for, for your baby getting here. I also think that if we look at the lactation support that is present right after birth, it's not always, A, it's not always present. There's not always there someone there to help you, you know, learn to feed your baby, but also it may not be someone who actually has dedicated training to lactation. It might be, and a lot of times it is, a nurse that has lactation experience, but they may not have actual training in lactation. So I think going into it, totally crucial to, to kind of know what to expect. I love how you say too, to give yourself grace. Can we talk a little bit about um, how long we should be expecting our babies to latch right after birth? So I typically say within the first hour or two hours. However, we do know that the research is pretty clear. Your baby might come here sleepy and it's okay. However, we typically like to see, you know, babies latch one to two hours after birth. What do you say, Brianne? Oh yeah. You know, that's why we kind of call it like that golden hour, that sacred hour after birth, because I think that's a great window when usually most babies are still a little bit more awake and active from all the excitement of being born. Not always, but you know, studies just show that if you can catch them in that hour or two after birth, you're more likely to meet your breastfeeding goals, but Hey, like things come up, right? Like sometimes an unexpected C-section or a mom is losing a lot of blood or, or just anything like things can come up. And so what I like to teach is like, it's okay if plan B happens or plan C, like you still can meet your breastfeeding goals. Like just because it doesn't happen right from the very beginning, it's not like, oh, well, I didn't latch in those first two hours. So it's over. It's done. Like there's nothing I can do. No, (laughs) that's not true. Of course, still have some good support in your life. Like, you know, have someone helping you like with hand expression or saying like, Hey, if your baby does end up in the NICU, for example, like this is how you can protect your milk supply while you're separate from your baby so that you can still put in an order for a great milk supply. You know, there's still absolutely ways that you can, you can meet your goals, but it's true that having someone like by your side who can kind of advocate for you, um, even if it's just your partner, who's like taken a breastfeeding course with you just say like, Hey, like, remember how we learned this in the breastfeeding course that we, that we took. And, and, you know, just having that support behind you, because, you know, like I've, I've worked as a nurse in the hospital, like they have a list a mile long of all the things that they need to get done. And like, they're doing their best and they, they're doing a lot of good work breastfeeding is not at the top of their list. It's just not. Um, and that's okay. You know, they have other stuff that they focus on. That's why you have someone who is focused on (laughs) breastfeeding to help you out because, um, at least in the hospitals where I live in Utah, maybe there's an IBCLC on staff, maybe one, maybe one in the entire hospital, maybe none at all. Maybe it's just someone who's trained in lactation. 
but to have someone who's an international board certified lactation consultant, um, you may or may not even have one of those in the hospital. And there's a very big difference between an IBCLC and someone who's taken a lactation course. <laughs> very big difference. Such a big difference. And yeah, I think you bring such, such a good point. Your nurse's job is not to help you get latched, right? That's That calls for a lactation specialist. And it really sucks that our country sees such a wide disparity between locations, right? I am so blessed to be in Boston where every hospital doesn't have an IBCLC. They have multiple IBCLCs on staff, right? So we are so blessed and so lucky in that regard. But then I think about my family down in Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Georgia, they probably don't have uh, these sort of resources and especially little country county hospitals. I imagine those definitely don't have IBCLCs because I know that just the sheer numbers down there, you know, the number of IBCLCs representative to the number of nursing and breastfeeding people in those states, totally, totally skewed. We don't have nearly enough professionals to support um, our, our people down there. So that is interesting to hear all of that. And, you know, I guess my wheels turning on, what should we be focusing on in women's health? There's obviously a long, long list, but I think, um, you know, by helping women get support from the very beginning with breastfeeding, we could probably improve so many numbers. I wonder, um, you know, what sort of PMADs or um, postpartum depression, anxiety, any sort of mood challenges. What could we do with nose numbers? What could we do with SIDS numbers? Since we know that babies who are breastfed are less likely to, you know, die from SIDS. What could we do for attachment if, you know, if parents were able to breastfeed confidently from the very beginning? I just feel like breastfeeding, getting that support right there in the beginning is such a good way to intervene on so many other ripples effects that have bad outcomes or negative numbers in our country. hundred mm -hmm. percent. Yeah. And it's so tricky to get that support, but one cool thing I think that, you know, even from COVID is that there's more IBCLCs who are offering consultations through video chats, you know? So, so there's definitely support out there. Um, it's just, of course, a matter of like knowing where to find it. And, and that's the tricky part sometimes. Yeah. And for listeners, your insurance probably does give you a visit or two with an IBCLC, give your insurance a call and see what sort of, um, what sort of visits are covered there. Um, okay. Brianne, so we've talked a lot about kind of the heaviness, the hard parts of it. So what are some myths out there that people could start to familiarize themselves with, learn how to identify those myths? And then also, what do we need to know about those myths that, you know, make it not true? How can we protect ourselves and keep ourselves confident when we face these myths? Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's so many breastfeeding myths. <laughs> I kind of felt like it was hard to narrow it down to you know, just a few that I could mention on here, but you know, here's, here's some that I hear quite often. So the first one is I can't breastfeed because fill in the blank, be, you know, an example being I have small breasts or I have flat nipples or my mom wasn't able to breastfeed or no one in my family breastfeeds, like fill in the blank. Um, and you know, that's, those are a lot of just breastfeeding myths, you know, they're like, for example, the size of your breasts 
has nothing to do with your supply. Yes, it's a storage container, but I um, have helped moms with very small breasts who are exclusively breastfeeding their baby. And I've helped moms with very large breasts who have something like PCOS who are able to produce almost no breast milk at all. So really it has nothing to do with breast size. When it comes to, you know, the things like the size or shape of your nipples, I would just say, Hey, it's breastfeeding. It's not nipple feeding, right? (laughs) Like your baby is latching onto your breast. They need breast tissue into their mouth. So while having, you know, maybe a different size or shape of nipple can be a little bit of a barrier, you can still totally breastfeed. So anyway, if, if you're like listening to this and you're like, oh, well, I can't breastfeed because of blank. Like I would say still reach out to an IBCLC. Most moms still can meet their breastfeeding goals. And it could just be that this is just a myth that you've heard of that may not even be true. You know, it could be something that can be overcome. So the second one that I thought of is, um, oh, in those first couple of days, I have to wait for my milk to come in. (laughs) Like I don't have milk in the beginning but you do. (laughs) So your first milk is called colostrum and that is starting to be produced in your second trimester. So like way before your baby is even born, you have milk ready to go in your breast. It's the perfect first food for your baby. It's all your baby needs. When your baby, um, is a newborn, their stomach can't hold a whole lot of volume. Their stomach is about the size of a shooter marble or a grape tomato. It can't fit a lot of volume in there. So those drops of colostrum are the perfect first food for your baby. And then your baby's stomach slowly grows to match um, as your milk starts to come in a little bit more. So colostrum is milk and it is there ready for your baby, ready to go as soon as they're born. Okay. Another myth that I hear a lot is, well, I don't want to exclude my partner. Um, You know, so breastfeeding would take away from their time bonding with them, you know, whether it's your partner, like your husband, whoever your support person is, um, you know, there are other ways that your partner can still bond with your baby, even if they are not directly breastfeeding. And some things that I like to recommend are, um, you know, partners can still do skin to skin with baby. That's a great thing to do, even just for bonding, even if it's not just to promote breastfeeding, it's also about being close, feeling that warmth, hearing your heartbeat, all those um, benefits of skin to skin still apply for your partner as well. Your partner can change diapers. They can burp your baby. Um, they, I even like to teach baby massage. And that's something that's great for partners to do because I feel like they're like, okay, just, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Like I'll follow the list that <laughs> you tell me. So I really like to teach baby massage because then partners are like, oh, I can just do these, these simple strokes or these fun baby yoga stretches. And it's just a fun way for partners to still connect and bond, um, with baby. So there's still definitely ways, you know, don't, I, I don't think that like breastfeeding is like, okay, it's time to breastfeed. Like you leave the room and go away. Like even in those first moments of breastfeeding, like when you see a mom breastfeeding, like the partner is standing right there next to mom, like they're still close to mom. It's not like they're excluded from, you know, the entire event. 
So that's another, another myth that I would say is, is not true. Um, another one is that I hear a lot is babies are lazy. <laughs> But, you know, breastfeeding is a biological norm. And if it's not going well, then there's something deeper going on. And that's when it's time to get help and dig a little deeper. Um, maybe there's an issue with your baby's alignment or some oral restriction. Jeez, these are just some examples of some things that an IVCLC can help you work through. So again, you're not alone. You're not doing it wrong. You're like, it's, it's all good. It just takes some practice and some support in the meantime, you know, studies show that moms who have some support with breastfeeding, they're more likely to meet their breastfeeding goals. If their partner's just like, Oh, like this is hard. Let's just give up. And then, and it's the middle of the night and mom is you know, running on little to no sleep. She's going to be like, you're right. This is hard. Let's give up. <laughs> so just having, um, you know, like a supportive partner or an IVCLC in your life, or, you know, like a doula or just someone that you can reach out to like for a little bit of support, because most pediatricians, most healthcare providers are not specifically trained on lactation. And again, like they're doing their best. They got a long list of other things to worry about and to help you with, but breastfeeding is not at the top of their list. And, and so, you know, definitely reaching out to someone trusted with that to help you get to the bottom, because it's not just that like your baby is lazy or that you're doing it wrong. There's almost always some sort of issue that we can help pinpoint and get to the bottom of it. And then the last myth I want to break is if you're, um, if my, uh, I hear mom say a lot, like, oh, I breastfed, but then I gave a bottle and my baby drank the whole bottle. So it must mean that I don't have enough milk. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. See, the thing is like, if you were offered like free, fast flowing milk, like you would take it too, right? Like, why not? Like just free flowing, like, let's do it babies are super, super smart. They're not going to turn that down. So just because your baby takes a bottle after you breastfeed, it does not mean that they did not get anything at the breast <laughs> and how you can um, know that is if you meet with an IVCLC, we can do something like a way feed way and we weigh your baby before they feed and then we feed them and then we can see how much they took. But you know, that's not always necessary for everyone to do, um, to do that way feed way. You can also just listen for things like swallows throughout a feed. You can look and see if your baby is following her own growth curve. Um, you can look and see if your baby's having good wet and poopy diapers and having normal awake moments during the day. And, and, you know, just all of these things are signs that your baby is having a good feed and you can just feel confident in that. Like, okay, my baby's doing these things. Like we're doing good. My baby's getting enough at the breast and it's all going great. And just feeling confident in that. I love all of those. And how many people I'm just imagining, like how many people are listening right now? Thousands of people are like, Oh, I didn't, I never knew that. Or like, they're probably listening being like, dang, I had no idea. Or so-and-so told me that I can't believe, you know, it was a myth. That is crazy. I think a lot can be said too for everybody's individual experience. So it goes back to what I was saying in the beginning. 
you and I have a very good um, kind of understanding that what works for one person is not going to work for every single person. And I think that has to do with myths and advice as well. So don't be afraid to say like, well, that worked for Susan, but it obviously is not working for me. What else can can I do? I also want to circle back to you talking about pediatricians not being trained specifically in breastfeeding. A lot of people will go to their pediatrician for breastfeeding knowledge. And I'm not knocking breast uh, pediatricians at all. My best friend of 22 years is uh, a pediatrician. And so I feel like that in itself gives me enough insight into their training as pediatricians that I've heard her talk about. And we've had deep discussions on, you're right. The, the, the training that they have on breastfeeding is very minute and pretty shallow. It's just kind of overall training and they spend a very small amount of time on it um, in med school. And so any pediatrician that, you know, wants to focus specifically on breastfeeding or have that deeper knowledge, they've got to seek it out themselves. So it truly is as a consumer, you need to think about having a pediatrician for your baby. And then if they don't have specific breastfeeding training, just seek out an IBCLC for yourself. It's kind of like finding yourself two different providers. Don't, don't assume that your pediatrician has, you know, lactation training. And again, not knocking pediatricians at all, just saying that sometimes it is better to have more than one practitioner because you got a couple things going on there. Um, and I, I think a lot of people just don't know that. So, all right, Brian, we talked about myths. What about bad advice? There's a lot of stinking bad advice out there for breastfeeding parents. What, how can we filter through the bad advice? How can we start to recognize it? How can we train our brain to be like, oh, that's probably a yellow flag. That doesn't sound like the best advice, but also keeping a healthy respect for, it may not be bad advice. It just may be advice that doesn't work for you. How do we walk that fine line? Yeah. So I think just being careful about who you surround yourself with, like who your community is, not only like physically around you, but also just on social media on platforms, you know, if there's, if there's someone who you follow that just isn't ringing true with you and it just doesn't seem to really align, then there's a million others, um, you know, <laughs> the line that you can choose or I kind of think of it, you know, where I live, there's a dentist on every single corner. Like every time you turn on a new street, there's a new, a new dentist and they're all full, you know, like they're all doing great. And it just goes to show like that, just like one dentist, isn't going to be perfect for everyone. People just have to kind of find the right one that like resonates with them and, you know, just works with them. And so it goes, it goes the same with, you know, just something as simple as lactation advice. So just educating yourself, um, with someone who has put in the time to learn about lactation and just to give a little bit of a background an IBCLC, um, it is more work for me to keep my IBCLC up to certification than it is to keep my RN licensure as a registered nurse <laughs> up to certification. It takes so many hours of specific lactation training and so many hours of working one-on-one -on -one with families. Um, so, so just, you know, looking for someone who does have that certification. And so do you want me to tell you some of the like bad advices that I've heard of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so here's just a few, again, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many, but like, these are just some that I've heard time and time again, that kind of came to my mind. <laughs> so 
you know, uh, even when I taught breastfeeding classes, I would have families ask all the time, like, Hey, what can I do to like prepare my nibbles before breastfeeding? And I hope nobody has actually ever done this, but there are some people who still think that like, you need to roughen up your nipples or like prepare them <laughs> before you breastfeed, like with a loofah or something. Like, I don't even know because it's just a horrible idea. <laughs> so if you're listening to this, please don't think there's anything you need to do to like toughen up your nipples to prepare them for breastfeeding. If you do that, it could just open it, you know, open up your nipples to infection. And like, why, you know, cause yourself that pain and then try and latch on a baby for the first time. (laughs) It doesn't sound great. Right. So the only thing I want you to prepare your nipples for is like, just educate your mind. Okay. (laughs) Don't do anything to mess with your nipples. It's not going to feel good. And it's really not going to help you either. Um, another big one that I think is really important is people think before they have a baby that, um, babies are going to come out on a schedule. Like a newborn is just going to come out on a schedule. Like, especially like, um, partners that I teach, they're like, I just need to know the schedule. Like you just tell me like, how often does my baby need to eat and exactly how many minutes? And I just want to know all the specifics. So, you know, of course, like I say things like, okay, like at least every two to three hours, like at least eight to 12 times in 24 hours, feed for at least 10 to 15 minutes. But, but then I always have to say like, this is a rule of thumb, but this is not like, this is not the, like, you know, this is exactly how often your baby eats, because this is something that I personally believed when I had my first baby. And so, um, you know, it ended up just kind of shooting me in the foot and I didn't have a great milk supply with her because she would cry before three hours. And it also didn't help with my, um, mental state because she would cry before three hours. And I would get so mad. I'd be like, why is she hungry? Like I read in this book that she was supposed to eat every three hours and what's happening. Like, she's like, I mean, I mean, sure. My mind was just like going crazy. Like she's just using me (laughs) and all these crazy things. But, but what I understand now is like, I mean, think about it when your baby is in your belly, like she is hooked up to an umbilical cord. She is getting constant um, nourishment from you and just constant comfort as well, because breastfeeding is not just about calories. It's not just like hook you up, you get your food and goodbye. No, breastfeeding is also about like being close to you, smelling you, hearing your heart beating, um, feeling your warmth. All of these things are just as important as the actual breast milk getting into your baby. So that's an important thing to know. Like babies don't come out like robots, things like cluster feeding is real. Um, and it's normal. So I always like to think about it. Um, just imagine, like, just imagine one day and think about how often you like grab a sip of water or you pop some gum into your mouth that you're like, Oh, you know what? Like I need a snack right now. It's not like you eat like only breakfast, only lunch, only dinner. Like you're taking sips of water throughout the day. Right. And imagine if someone was like, Nope, sorry. Like it has not been three hours. (laughs) You cannot have that sip of water. You'd be like, what the heck (laughs) It's the same for your baby? You know, like sometimes they just need a little bit of close to you or just like a little bit of sip. So, so, you know, I just, I really think it's not serving parents to like, to know these like really, really strict schedules, especially in the beginning in those first couple of weeks, like just follow your baby's lead. Not only is that 
going to help decrease crying time um, to just offer the breast frequently, but it's also just going to put an order for a great milk supply because those first couple of weeks, you're just telling your body like, hey, this is what we need and this is how much we want you to make. And then you're going to set yourself off on a great start. It's not like you're setting up bad habits from the very beginning. If you want to do you know, some training later on, like some sleep training or whatever you want to do, like that can come down the road. But in the beginning, just know like babies are not on a schedule. <laughs> They're kind of just, you know, going on their own time. So, so if they want to feed at the two hour mark, feed them. If they are going through a period where they want to just feed frequently, especially I feel like when the sun starts to go down, I like to call it witching hour. <laughs> like, you know, it's okay to feed them frequently during that time. Um, another bad advice that I hear is, um, you know, always top off your baby after they feed to make sure that they're full. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying before with just because your baby takes the bottle doesn't mean that they're not getting enough at the breast. Cause I like to think of it as like the top off spiral, right? Like you, you give a little bit of supplementing after you breastfeed <clears throat> and then that means a little bit less time at the breast. And then your body says, okay, well, we don't need that much milk. So it starts making a little bit less milk. And then you breastfeed your baby again, and they spend a little bit less time at the breast. And you see how it's like a little bit of a downward spiral. And so there's so like, there's probably so many people listening to this. Who's like, oh, but like so-and-so my neighbor, my sister just didn't have enough milk to feed their baby. Chances are they kind of started like this downward spiral where they kind of shot themselves in the foot <laughs> because most, the majority of women are able to produce enough breast milk for their baby, but there's just a lot of like trusting in your body and trusting that you can do it and having that good support as well. Um, so that's another really common one that I hear. And then the last one is that the benefits of breast milk disappear at one year of age. Um, you know, and whatever your goal is, like, as you're listening to this, you could just be like, Hey, I just want to breastfeed for two weeks. Like if I can just breastfeed for two weeks, like I've met my goal, or maybe you're listening and you're like, I want to breastfeed till three months when I return to work, or I want to breastfeed till six months when I start introducing some solids or, or one year or two years, like whatever your goal is, that's great. And stick with your goal. Just um, don't feel pressured to wean your baby right at one year of age. It's not like all the benefits of breast milk just like <laughs> dissipate into thin air <laughs> as soon as your baby turns one. If you're, if you hit that one year mark and you're like, Hey, things are going great. And I still love this. And maybe flu season is coming up and I want to breastfeed through flu season. So my baby's still getting those good antibodies do it. There is nothing that says that you have to stop breastfeeding at one year of age. That was kind of a long, a, a long list, but. <laughs> but that works. I wrote them all down and, and these are all definitely bad pieces of advice. I've, I've heard as well. Okay. So let's talk about breast milk coming in. We do a lot. We, we keep on talking about colostrum and that, you know, your, your milk is going to come in and it's enough for your baby. What do parents need to know in those first few days? So when can we expect our quote unquote actual milk to come in, even though colostrum listeners, that is your milk. So I would prefer if as a society, we got away from the language that said milk coming in. And we talked about our milk transitioning from colostrum to breast milk. But anyway, okay. how long are we, are we, you know, should be, we, we waiting for the actual milk to come in quote unquote. Also, what do we need to know in those, those few days about mindset? Cause it's really, really easy to slip into the mindset of, oh no, I don't have enough 
enough milk, especially if you don't have, um, you know, supportive hospital staff. Hospital staff sometimes can be a little bit pushy about you don't have enough milk and we really want to get your baby fed. It could be their own uncomfortableness of, of watching this natural process kind of play out, or it may be their own uncomfortableness of hearing babies cry or watching you guys struggle to kind of find that rhythm in breastfeeding. So how can parents protect themselves from maybe slipping down that slippery slope? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And you're so right. It is more of a transition. So your milk starts to transition to have more volume between about day three to day five. And that can be a little bit different for everyone. Again, that's just like a good, like rule of thumb to follow um, for moms who have um, breastfed before or moms who are just like feeding frequently. It could come in before day three, like sometimes even on day one or day two. And of course the, the way that you can help that the most is just like bring them to the breast as much as possible in those first couple of days for a mom, um, who maybe like lost a lot of blood during delivery, um, you know, or, or had something unexpected come up like that. Sometimes it could be after day five. Um, but But for most people, you're going to start to feel more fullness and see a little bit more milk volume from day three to day five. And for a lot of moms, that's after they've already gone home from the hospital. (laughs) So to your point of what you can do in the beginning when you don't see a lot of that volume is um, just know simple things like how to hand express. And I also love to teach things like breast massage. I made little highlight bubbles on my Instagram because these are just like such basic things that mom should know how to do. It's things that I didn't know how to hand express when I had my first baby. I didn't know how to do breast massage. And so just knowing these simple things really empowers families. And, you know, clients that I've worked with, um, you know, for different situations, um, like for example, they had a baby before and they had to supplement in those early days. There's other options such as, um, antenatal expression. So, you know, I've had a a client recently who she started hand expressing after 37 weeks and started saving some of her colostrum. And then she took it to the hospital and just like whipped it out when they're like, Oh, like we need, like, we need to supplement this baby. She's like, Oh, well, I have some right here. And they're like, mine's blown. (laughs) She was like, it was so awesome. Like she just felt like so confident and empowered in the delivery room. And so just like, just like preparing yourself beforehand, like you have everything you need. Like, again, even if things aren't going well from the beginning, like you can just hand express right there. And if you've practiced beforehand, um, then you already feel confident in how to do that. Like you can easily get that good colostrum out, get it to your baby and get through the, get through those first couple of days. If you're feeling engorged and maybe your milk is, is having a hard time getting out. Cause you're just feeling like so, so full, just some easy breast massage can help to like loosen things up, like just such basic things. Um, and then you can just really crush your breastfeeding goals. I love that. Okay. So we talked about, you know, the colostrum coming in and and waiting for your milk to transition. What, well, I guess not what I have a question that I continue to hear. And I always tell people that, you know, this probably is not true, but I would love to hear it from you. If you do 
if your baby is given formula during your hospital stay at some point, whether you wanted it and you said yes to it, or it was done without your consent, either way, I get the question, will formula stretch my baby's stomach very frequently? And here's why you feed your baby, feed your baby. And then you bring them home and you're like, I don't have enough milk to sustain. And I'm wondering if they stretch my baby's stomach. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Does that happen? Is that true? Is this maybe similar to the top off myth that we're hearing? And it just is a fact that your baby's been nursing from a bottle rather than you, and it's a matter of supply. How do we navigate this? Mm -hmm. So the studies that I read show that a baby's stomach can really only hold so much, and it really can't stretch that much. So a lot of times when I've seen babies receive, you know, like a bottle of formula in the hospital, um, if it's a large amount, a lot of times they just spit it right back (laughs) because there's only so much room in there. I mean, their stomachs really are so, so tiny. And it just like, it's just so crazy to me. Cause when I worked as a nurse in the hospital, I did not know this. There was no such thing as like, Oh, a baby stomach can only hold five to seven milliliters on day one. It just was like, Oh, we just give a bottle and we'll just let them drink as much as they want. And we just like lay them down and hook up the bottle and they would just chug, 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 chug. And so like looking back, I'm like, Oh, like that is just, that is just crazy. Um, so, oh my gosh, I totally lost my shirt. Where was I going with this? <laughs> We were just talking about, um, babies having, you know, five to seven milliliters in their belly. And as a nurse, we just chug, chug, chug. My question was about, does formula stretch their tummies? Oh, that's right. Oh my gosh. Can you tell that I have mom brain myself? It's so bad. I don't even have children and I have mom brain. So I I like, I literally like, I don't know if I can have any more kids because I don't know if I can take it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Does mom brain ever go away? Is that like a real thing that stays around when it's Honestly, I don't think it goes away, which is scary. (laughs) Terrifying. (laughs) But it's all good. It's all good. So, okay. So going back to the the point that you were asking is, um, you know, if it like stretches their stomach or if it, it sets you off, you know what, like you can still go back and meet your breastfeeding goals just because they had a large amount of formula. Like chances are they just spit a lot of it up. It's not like it ruin their stomach or stretch it out and you're done for, um, you know, there's, there's nothing like that. You still can, you could even like, if they're used to a little bit of a higher amount, you could like slowly taper them down. And so, you know, I made a fun reel on my Instagram that shows like, this is how much is normal on day one. And this is how much is normal on day three. And then by day 10, you know, so just knowing that, you know, parents are like, Oh, I didn't realize like, that's all they need in the beginning. And then I didn't realize when I go back to work, they only need between two and five ounces. So just knowing that then you can just like be smart and be like, okay, this is really all that they need. And, um, And then again, when they're at the breast, you just like listen for those swells and make sure that they're growing well. And then you can just feel really confident that they're getting what they need at the breast. Sure. Wow. I love that. Okay. All right. This hour has passed by so quickly. So my last question for you is, you know, we've done a lot of talking on what to do with our boobs and and how to achieve this and how to do that. And I know everyone is thinking like, all right, but what products do I need to achieve all these goals that you two keep talking about? So can you share with us your favorite breastfeeding tools plus when and why you would use each of those? Yeah. Yeah. I, there's not a lot of, 
um, tools that I recommend just because I really like to keep breastfeeding like as simple as possible. There are some that I do think like offer a really big bang for their buck. Um, you know, some, um, such as like the Hakka, I really, I really love that because it's pretty inexpensive and it just is worth like every single penny. It catches all of those ounces on the other breast while you're breastfeeding and all of those really add up. And, and, you know, there's some like, um, I really love like the mother love organic nipple cream. And I love the silverettes for, you know, bad nipple wounds that need some help healing. I just really love to stick with like simple, natural techniques. I feel like there's so many products out there to where you could just like go nuts and spend like honestly thousands and thousands of dollars, not even just hundreds because there's just so many products out there. Um, but you know, when it comes down to it, like I really think that paying a professional to help you is going to help you meet your breastfeeding goals better than like buying this gadget and this gadget and this gadget. And so there are some that I would recommend, but it's not, it's not a ton. Like I put together an Amazon list for my followers and it didn't have a ton of stuff on there. Cause I was just like, you know, these are the things that can really get you through, but, um, you don't need like all the, you know, fancy gadgets. Well, it's such a minimalistic activity, right? Like hypothetically, obviously it would be a little bit more um, painful and the healing wouldn't be as speedy, but hypothetically you have everything you need with a baby and a boob, right? If we, we kind of break it down to the very, very basics, again, nipple butter and breastfeeding pillows and the Hakka and the silverette cups, they all make it easier, but do you quote unquote, need them? No, to achieve your goals, you don't need them, but they do make it easier. Mm -hmm. Yikes. This has been so much fun. It has passed by so quickly. I can talk to you all day about breastfeeding things, especially myths and, and, and bad advice out there. It just, um, it's abundant, right? It's everywhere. Everywhere that you turn, you talk about dentists being on every corner. I feel like bad breastfeeding advice is on every single corner that you, you turn down. So Brian, thank you for being here with me today. If somebody was listening and they wanted to connect with you on your Instagram, share that with us. But also if they wanted to work with you and you said something that they were like, wow, I need this person in my life. How can they connect with you and, and get a hold of the, the goods that you share? Yeah, you bet. So um, a good way to connect with me, I guess everyone who's listening to this listens to podcasts. So I do have a podcast as well. It's Breezy Babies. And that's just like a simple way for me to share top three tips. I make them pretty short and bite sized and to the point. Um, one mom said it's just about the length of um, it takes her to breastfeed her baby. So she listens to that during one breastfeeding session. <laughs> so that's a great way to listen for more tips and tricks. And I really love to share on my Instagram as well. I've just filled that up like on my reels and my highlight bubbles, just like all my posts are just full of like easy, like tips and tricks to help you meet your goals. I always say I do everything's boobs, babies, and breastfeeding. So as it relates to that, um, and my handle is, um, breezy babies and there's two underscores between breezy and babies on Instagram. But even if you just search for me by name, you can find me on there. And, um, and as far as um, the support that I provide um, past that, on my um, website, breezybabies.com, um, I have a couple different things that I offer on there. I have an online course where I teach baby massage. I kind of mentioned that a little bit 
on um, this podcast because while I love teaching about breastfeeding and I could talk about that all day and I'm sure that we could chat about that for hours on end. I also am trained on baby massage and I really love um, what that brings to the bonding of a family and it also um, not only the bonding, but just the health benefits that it brings to a baby to be massaged. So I put together an online course where families anywhere in the world can learn how to massage their baby. And then another thing is um, a lot of my followers were asking for personalized pumping plans. They were saying like, Hey, I'm returning to work or I'm exclusively pumping. And I just don't know like how often I should be doing this or what the tips and tricks are to make pumping easy. So, um, so I also offer personalized pumping plans that I put together for clients. Um, and I also can just hop on a coaching call as well. If people just have questions about breastfeeding. So all of that is on my website and then I did put together a fun 20% discount um, for anyone who listens to this podcast because I always love a good discount myself. <laughs> it's always, you know, fun to have a little bit. So it was just birth lounge. And if you um, put that in on my website, then that gives you 20% off anything on there. So um, yeah, that's definitely the easiest places to connect with me and continue learning with me. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Listeners. I had no idea we were going to get a discount code today. That's great. Rianne, thank you so, so, so much. I could not agree more with um, infant massage. I also think it, it serves as a great anchor in your day. So anchor for our listeners. These are things throughout your day that even your child with no regards to time or not being able to read a clock are going to come to um, expect in their day and a, a baby massage at the end of the day can serve as an anchor, an evening anchor for your child to give them um, a time and space to give them some sort of reference of where you are in your day and what they can expect later uh, throughout the day. So Brianne, this was amazing. Thank you so, so much for our listeners what a Tuesday, right? You guys had no idea you were going to get all of this information. If you are out there listening and you are thinking, gosh, I have had so much bad advice given to me, or I've heard all of these myths, please head to Brianne's Instagram, give her a follow. She is over there breaking up and busting breastfeeding myths every single day. You're going to see her on our stories. I love to share her stuff. It's so informative. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident.
Hey there, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hehe and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.